Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Clipping the Apex podcast. On today's episode we're going to be looking at the Toyota TSO50 which raced in the WEC since 2016. So it was introduced in, 20, in 2016 and hopefully in today's we'll have an overview about the powertrain mostly because I'm not really interested in aerodynamics but it's still we'll briefly go over over it and we'll just talk about how we well TSO50 came to be and why Toyota made the decisions they did in creating that car so buckle down continue driving I don't know do what you do when you're listening to a podcast and I hope you enjoy so our story starts in 2005 and to, to tell themselves they want to have a hybrid race car or use high, I should say, use high tech technology in racing. So they get to work, working away, doing their thing. And in 2006, the first system was created. What they did was they got a Lexus GS450H, already a hybrid car, and they put a capacitor and battery combo and the reason for this, it sounds a bit weird if you think about a battery and a capacitor. Why do they need two sources of energy? Well, the reason for this is at the time, all two hybrid cars used nickel metal hydride batteries, which don't have the same power density as a lithium ion or as a capacitor. So it means that when you need to deliver that power to the electric motor it's, it's going to have to take a long time and you can't really have that in a racing situation it's not very ideal so that was the whole point of the capacitor because capacitors have a very low internal resistance they're able to charge and discharge really quickly but the downside is because they are not storing energy in an electrochemical way but in rather with an electric field it means that they store a lot less energy like a significant amount less energy so you can see the challenges already occurring in trying to make a hybrid car and now we're trying to have a hybrid race car which has its own challenges because think about it around the racetrack you obviously got to think about the weight we got to think about accelerating quickly we can't be waiting a good 30 seconds for or we got to wait for the motor to speed up because we don't want to over discharge the battery you can't really be having those things in, in a racing situation so th that was 2006 and obviously something I need to say is that the max output for the electric motors or the I should say electric motor for the hybrid system in total for that car was 341 brake horsepower which is pretty powerful I would have to say as powerful than some uh, little road cars but hey I wouldn't, wouldn't expect anything less from a race car and then obviously the two have learned the lesson from 2006 and they've moved on forward to 2007 and now in 2007 they want to take another step up so what they did was they took a car from their from their racing program that they really know was successful they really know what it was capable of and hybridized it hybridized it that's the word we could keep it hybridized hybridized and so they took the Toyota Supra, a Toyota Supra from the Super GT series. That car was in the GT500 class, and it was quite a successful car as well, winning four drivers' titles and two teams' titles between 1997 and 1999. 
So it's quite a special crowd, if you ever think about it. The hybrid system had an output of about 230 brake horsepower, about that. And it featured a 150 kilowatt rear motor and two 10 kilowatt front motors, so a motor in each wheel. And the reason for this was they wanted to recover more energy more efficiently. Because if you think about it, when you brake, if you get your road car and you brake quite heavily, you know there's a lot of weight transfer from the rear wheels to the front wheels. And by doing that, the rear wheels or the rear brakes, I should say, don't have to work as hard and the front brakes have to work even harder. That's why also if you look in your road car, the front brakes are actually bigger than the rear brakes because of that load transfer we have or weight transfer we have while braking. You also see why some cars, cheaper cars I would say, have disc brakes in the fronts and drum brakes in the rear because again the rear brakes don't have to work nearly as hard as the front brakes so to be able to put in the two 10 kilowatt motors up there was actually a smart choice just due to that weight transfer and then able to recover their energy under braking more efficiently so when they did actually run this car an interesting thing they found out was not only was it more efficient in terms of fuel like you would expect but also Due to having electric motors in the front, they also had less brake wear, which means that over the course of a 24-hour race, you would have more consistent brake performance and you don't have to replace brake pads because the electric motors are taking some of the load. So after these two successful projects, Toyota wants to break out onto the main stage because all these projects were localized in Japan. So they were racing in Japan and they were focused on the Japanese market. But obviously, Toyota being an multinational company, they want, to, they want to brand out. And so from there, in 2008, they decided they want to develop a car to go on the race course, I should say, to go on the world stage. So they start planning from 2008 and all the way up to 2011 to develop a race car for Le Mans. Now, there's some challenges in this because the previous hybrid system that they were using weighed out 600 kilograms, which is pretty damn heavy. And that needed to get down to at least 100 kilograms before it even be considered feasible to put in a race car for Le Mans. So the car they end up producing is the Toyota TSO30, a petrol-electric hybrid car featuring a 3.4-litre Nachi-aspirated V8. That car would become the main stage or their first attack to win Le Mans. That car also features a supercapacitor as their energy storage. And this has obviously been chosen from the lessons they saw in the past because they know that they need the power density to discharge and reach and recuperate energy from the electric motor in when they're when they're braking and when they're accelerating. But also they need the energy density because obviously Lamorne is a long track. And if you're not able to store that energy, then it's just going to waste. Now, obviously, something that they've learned from the past of having recovering energy from the front and the rear wasn't really, wasn't really done in this car. Not because they didn't want to. They really did want to chew that system. But the rules stated that they could only recover from the rear axle because at the time, hybrid race cars were very, very um, early stages. Not really the car Toyota made, but it was a good first step. A good first step allowing Toyota to get three victories out of six races. Unfortunately, it wasn't able to win Le Mans 
but it had a good try either way. So after the partial success of the TSO-30, Toto were hungry and they clearly wanted more because they still hadn't won them on yet, which is what the target was. So what they did was took advantage of the new regulations, which stipulated that you will now be able to recover energy from both the front and the rear axle or choose to go on the path of recover having one of your energy recovery systems be exhaust gas recovery. But Toyota, knowing going from the lessons they've learnt in the past from the TSO-30 and the rest of the other cars that the Toyota hybrid system has been based on or based in, they decided to recover energy from the front and the rear axles and pair that with a 3.7 naturally aspirated V8, bigger than last time, but they were still able to get the fuel efficiency out of it, which is quite quite amazing. How they did that, that's a top secret apparently, but hey, if I find out, I will I will more than happily share on this podcast. So if anyone else finds out actually, it'd be great if they just pop me a message and they tell. That'd be great. I'd like to know. So going on from that, they now have a again continue to carry the supercapacitor from last year's car, but now it's even improved and it's actually able to store more energy. So they've now entered the six megajoule class because in this new regulations, they stipulated hybrid energy classes starting from the two megajoule class and increasing in two megajoule increments. So going to the 6 megajoule class was a choice because ideally they would want to go through the 8 megajoule class, the heaviest class, but that's just too much weight and the benefit wasn't there from the hybrid system. So doing that, they had this 6 megajoule capacitor. And this 6 megajoule capacitor has three times the amount of energy of a 12 volt lead acid battery for a small car. So it's quite a lot of energy stored into, I would say, uh, a package of a small child. That's about how big the battery pack is in the car, in the passenger seat, right next to the driver. So just, if you have a, if you have a child or a small kid, just look at them and imagine them in a, as like a box. And that's how big the secret faster was for the TSO 40. The car was a quick car too. A very quick quark, by the way. And accelerating, helping to accelerate the car was a brushless DC motors. So that's what the two MGUs were. They were brushless DC motors, not AC motors. And they were powered by, or I shouldn't say powered, but controlled by a denser inverter. It's like I said earlier, they had the choice to use exhaust gas recovery. And Porsche, one of the one of their competitors, Porsche, did go that down that path. But Toyota decided not to go in that path on the stipulation that by going down the exhaust gas recovery path, you would now use that efficiency from the engine because of the increase in back pressure from the turbocharger and having a motor attach that turbocharger, <laughs> limiting on how quickly it could it could flow. So just they didn't want to reduce the thermal efficiency of the engine, which is fair enough, you know, but maybe, you know, it's quite interesting that there were other choices that they didn't really go for that. So again, energy was certainly recovered from the axles, the rear and the front wheels. But another 
key thing. By going down the path of having two energy recovery systems in the front and the rear, they're able to deploy energy to these two motors in the front and the rear. Now, this makes is a very interesting thing, I should say, and the reason I keep on saying this is because in the pits, the regulations stipulated that these cars had to only enter and leave the pits under electrical power only. But by, by being the only four-wheel drive car in electric mode, it means it had more traction off the pits, which means it would gain about a couple tenths of a second every time it left the pits. Something that the competitors just didn't have because they chose to have to just have a single a single energy recovery system in the front and an exhaust gas or just no second energy recovery system. So this is an inherent advantage of going down the path that they've done, just something they've gained by not choosing this exhaust gas recovery. Also, you got to think about this, this would be even a bigger deal in the wet where all their competitors are two-wheel drive in the pits, but they're four-wheel drive in the pits. You could say there are downsides to this system because now you're putting more power through the rear wheels and you're loading the rear wheels even more, producing more wear, which isn't really ideal. But if you're able to manage that, the benefits outweigh the downsides, especially if you're able to keep that, if you're able to keep the tire wear down and the weight down. And... Again, most of the energy was deployed out of the exit, the corners, because that's when you really maximize your efficiency. You've got to think about it, right? You know, most of the energy that you use to uh, really get going in your car or how much work the engine has to do is in the acceleration phase. You know, you, just when your car, the engine's is least efficient because it isn't running that fast. You're trying to build up your momentum. So having the electric motor with that instant torque to just speed you up and not have to rely on the engine is is a really, 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 really helpful thing to have at the time. And it was really pivotal for these cars in this year. Previously, the TSO 30 wasn't able to do this just by regulation. Because in regulation then, it said you're only able to deploy the hybrid system when your speed was over 120 kilometers per hour which is just about which is about i would say 70 miles per hour if i got that right in my head so uh, again the main advantage of the hybrid system is kind of taken away so in total the tso 40 was able to have a total horsepower of just under a thousand horsepower with 500 that horsepower coming from the engine and 480 brake horsepower coming from the hybrid system. You know, it was able to be a very quick car, winning the manufacturers and drivers titles in the World Endurance Championship, but it still wasn't able to win them all. The car would later go and be updated in 2015, but it would then get absolutely destroyed in the series and become the fastest car in 2014 to be in the slowest car in 2015 in its class but they would now strike back in 2016 with the car that we know I, I all the listeners have been waiting for me to talk about so next we look at the TSO 50 the TSO 50 was the final car 
see it, okay, using all the lessons, using all the information, all the lessons they've learned in the past from the previous LMP1 cars and the previous cars and that have used the two hybrid system to create this final edition of this car. This car features a 2.4 liter twin turbocharged V6 engine. It also now gained two megajoules of energy in the battery. It's going from a six megajoule supercapacitor to an eight megajoule lithium ion battery because now lithium ion batteries are more affordable and technology's there where they don't weigh too much. You know, and that's about four times the amount of energy of a small car led acid battery. A thing to note is currently, or I shouldn't say currently, but since till recently, all the Toyota cars had AC to cool the battery. Because obviously the batteries would get quite hot discharging and charging all the time. And they needed AC to cool those down. It was not until about 2018, the 2018 variant of the TSO50 did not feature this AC. Because you can imagine ACs, an AC, imagine an AC unit, a small AC unit just put in your car. That's, that's pretty damn heavy. So, and also it's a reliability thing. But the 2016 edition, the one I'm really talking about, did feature AC to cool the batteries. Again, it still featured the recovery, energy recovery from the, both the front and the rear axle, just like the previous cars. So again, these lessons they've learned in the past are going on to the future. And really, the car didn't perform well in its first season, sort of. It's quite a strange one. Because during the, the regular season, it was okay, but it wasn't really on pace. Not until Le Mans did they really show the pace of the car. The car was more efficient than any car. It could go a lap longer and it used tyres less. And it was leading Le Mans all the way until three minutes till the end where they had an engine failure, which is absolutely terrible for Toyota. And then the next year, with an updated TSO 50, something similar happens again. They have a hybrid failure on one of the cars on, and two of a, a clutch failure on another and another car crashes out, which is a shame. But the car was quick and has won quite a few races. In fact, like I said earlier, it's won, won quite a lot. And in 2017, the car was able to get the fastest lap ever around Le Mans with a lap time of 3 minutes 14 and 7 tenths and 9 hundredths of a second and an average speed of 251.882 kilometers per an hour and if you think about this, this is a 13.6 kilometer lap so it's pretty damn long, it's not a short lap and they are going very very quickly now like I said earlier, in 2017, all three cars, because the three tours that have tended to win Le Mans, had an issue or crashed out. And the reason why I'm bringing this up again is because, coincidentally, because they have to recover so much energy through the axles, once you start to brake or once you start to start the braking process, you actually need to lift off 
before you now start to recover energy so she can again maximize how much energy you're recovering but once you do this you're kind of locked in your path and it's very difficult to to take evasive action essentially because you're not gonna you always break in a straight line you don't break while you're turning so this was the main cause for the third tier to crashing out in Lamar. The other two were more freak incidences that this just happened. But it's all sad and gloom for this car, but it did end up winning Lamar in 2018 and in 2019. And it's very likely to win Lamar in its final year in 2020. So that's that. Toyota's hybrid race car. The car they've taken years and years and years to develop. Lessons that they learned since 2005 have gone into this car. And it's very likely the car will be forgotten, even though it did bring Toyota their first Le Mans win in, in so long, in over 10 years, to be honest. You know, ever since they've been trying to win this race, and only recently we were able to win it. This car is going to be a big part into its history. But unfortunately, because it didn't win as many races as, say, the Porsche or the Audi, it's very likely it will be forgotten, even though the car was more efficient when it was at its best. I feel like, well, for me, it's my favorite car. I think it so means so much for endurance racing and... It's really the car that embodies the hybrid regulations. It's a true, it's a true hybrid racer. And just so you know, when you're, when we're going out into the new regulations that are coming now for the world endurance and for endurance racing at Le Mans, not to forget the Toyota 50, because a car like that will never be able to be made again in this current climate, financially and in motorsport politics, it seems. But it's a car that's quite special and that we should never forget, even though it doesn't have a grandiosely, you know, won Le Mans three times consecutively or was doing crazy things. It still does have the fastest lap. No Porsche Audi has that. But hey, it is what it is. Thank you for listening to the Clip in the Apex podcast.